I imagine there's got to be something frustrating and also a little bit enjoyable about the fact that people don't know exactly how to put your music into or what bucket to put it into. Yeah, I guess that was the, the mission statement, I suppose, from, from day one. I mean, I think it's recognizably the GO team. I think people often say that, that you can kind of tell it's the GO team. It's a GO team song when it, when it comes on within seconds of it starting, which I think is kind of a good thing. But at the same time, it's a million different things at the same time, you know. So it's simultaneously sprawling and indefinable but hopefully kind of recognizable at the same time there was a podcast that i did before this one where i had a co-host and the name was random badassery right and what i found is i spent most of my time <laughs> telling people trying to explain to him what that meant right yeah that's the flaw with music isn't it? it's not designed to be explained you know which if anything that the rise of Spotify is, is a good thing if, if for that, if, if only for that in that it almost makes uh, music journalism or criticism redundant in a way because you can just say, you know, instead of spending 10 minutes reading an article, just listen to that thing, you know what I mean? So I kind of like that idea of replacing talking about music with, with music, you know. Don't talk about it, here it is, you know what I mean? Because there's no other... There's no replacement for her, is it? Really, is that? You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like there was a period of time, maybe in the '60s, early '70s, where music criticism was an art. You know, there was something, there was actual criticism to it, where yeah. they were talking about what was going on in it. And mm. then somewhere in the '80s forward, it just became this marketing plug. You know, it right. would come out. They do the review like uh, two months before you could even buy the album. And the whole point of the article was, should you buy it or shouldn't you buy it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a relevant art form, you know what I mean? I think there is a place for it, but, you know, there's an argument for just, like, just getting on with it, you know? It's like, don't waste your time, just just replace, replace that with music, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you look back at how many of the, not even just in music, but in art or in film, most of the names that we remember in the films and, and paintings that we remember, they're kind of indescribable. You know, what, what's Picasso? What bucket do we put Picasso in? Does expressionism mm. fit? No. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and often it's, the, it's the, the subtlety of the execution as well that, that, you know, when you say, hey, the goatee mixes up soul and funk and rock you know it, it that really doesn't do the job at all because it's about the detail it's about okay exactly who then you know who are you into you know and it's it's really because i kind of don't like most music actually kind of i think there's dodginess in everything really you know soul can be the best or the worst music ever the same with funk so it's really down to detail it's about you know okay you like the meters drum sound there you like Shirley Ellis's way of singing or you know what I mean so that's another thing with with journalism is it just becomes this list and and the the detail and the uh, deliberateness of the references kind of gets lost down the line as well you know do you find that a little bit freeing in the sense that because the music is so indescribable that you know, if you want to bring in a different element, you don't have to wonder if it's going to fit into the predefined box that you've created. Yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah, definitely. I could I could go in a million different directions on the next record. You know, I could go much noisier, or I could turn it go even bigger on the brass band thing. I could make it like an easy listening thing. I could do spaghetti westerns. I could, and and in some way, it would still be go teamy. So I think that's, um, you know, I've never dug the idea of, of, sort of a band like R.E.M. or something where everything is just bass, drums, guitar, and Michael Stipe over the top, you know what I mean? I, I think having all these cheeky instruments that nobody normally touches, you know, like recorders and glockenspiels and uh, steel drums and stuff like that. So I can literally raid everything and go in any direction which is, 
I don't find that overwhelming actually because it's all about melody really for me, you know. Um, and that's another thing which people kind of often overlook with us is that melody is pretty front and centre, you know, and, and that's really what define, uh, dictates the songs for me is, is, the, is the song, the, the tune, the melody. Whereas, you know, to hear people think about it, you'd think I was just randomly <laughs> chucking stuff together, <laughs> and, which, you know, so it's really melody runs the show and then things start getting interesting with the execution. You know, okay, is this going to be, uh, you know, what kind of voice are you going to have? What kind of drum sound? Is it going to be electro in this little bit here? Is it going to go into a, you know, a kind of windswept midnight cowboy bit there? Or, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's that's what stops it being overwhelming is that the melody brings it all back down that's what that's what's running the show you know i think what's interesting about songwriting from my perspective and the little little bit of experience i've had with it which is very very amateur um and i guess this is part of a question for you if it's the same for you but i find that you know i go into like a song and i have an idea and it's it's surprising to me and i think other people would find surprising how difficult it is for a song to get away from you. You know, I, I think there's a perception that a songwriter can go in and go, this is what I see, and they can execute exactly what they see in their head. But I've found that when you get in and you actually start playing with things, in sometimes in good ways, but also sometimes in bad ways, you know, you get to the end of something, you go, what is this? You mean it never pans out how you want it? Yeah, it just it ends up something different where you go, why does this sound like ministry? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I guess that's what makes it you-ish, isn't it? I'm always obsessed with this idea about what defines you musically. And again, it's something which you can never explain. You know, you can you can spot like a Neil Young melody, even if somebody else is singing it, or a Bee Gees melody or something. Like so what what is that thing which almost like some sort of sonic fingerprint that everyone has, you know, their, their own approach to things is, is an amazing thing, really. So, yeah, there's, there's things which I'll never even realise, which are these little, these little kind of touches and little sort of ticks almost that I have, you know, that... Uh, yeah, which make, makes it goating without even realising it. You know, I, I, I've written a song for uh, a band called White Horses and um, with, within minutes of it coming on, people were saying, oh, that's the go team. That sounds like the go team. So <laughs> and I had no idea that people would, would get that. So, yeah, it's a funny thing. That reminds me of when Bowie wrote all the young dudes for Mott the Hoople. Mm. It just sounds like a Bowie song. <laughs> yeah. It's a funny thing, yeah. It, there's, I, I, it almost reminds me of like, um, like tells and poker or um, body language, where there's these yeah. little things that we do that you're like, mm, that we don't, don't even register them on a conscious level, but they're just part of who we are, our DNA, yeah. I guess. Mm. And it's it's getting down to the sort of almost like a brain cell kind of level, isn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's like a wiring in your brain. It's, it's a funny thing because. The, it's almost like the melody is going on a little journey and the way you resolve it is like a really unique sort of thing. You know, Brian Wilson has really, he has lots of tells in his uh, melodies. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I would say that even the Beatles, uh, well, not even the Beatles, especially the Beatles, once yeah. they went solo, you could hear that they still carried that sound with them. Exactly. I was thinking that the other day. I was watching a Lennon documentary and it's was like, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, he's just got his own, his own thing going on. Yeah, who knows, who knows. I think that's what keeps me going, actually, is the mystery of it all. Um, the fact that no one has actually nailed it. No one's actually, this, this concept of catchiness and, and hooks and stuff like that, no one's actually got to the bottom of it, which is an amazing thing. There's no program or anything that you could or algorithm that would come up with a catchy thing because it's such a indefinable thing you know 
M- McCartney struggles with songwriting like now more than as much as I do. You know, he's right. he's striving for that next killer melody as much as anyone. You know, so that's you know I do think of it like mining or hitchhiking or something like that. It's this, and I'm literally going at it day after day. <laughs> and I sing, I sing them to my phone, and I hoard these things. And who knows, you know, one one day this I had quite a good one yesterday that kind of reared out of the endlessness, <laughs> you know. So it, it's just keeping at it, it's just fucking, you know, just digging in and putting the hours in. That's what I do every day pretty much, you know. It's this uh I think it's so because it's so rare, I think I think really good hooky melodies are so rare. And I can listen to the radio for a week and and lots of things will pass me by, you know. So um, that, that's that's what I do, yeah. I, I listen to record, other people's records all day and that's that's the, uh, the catalyst for my own things, you know. It's a bit like the concept of um, negative space or something. You know, you're not sitting in a vacuum with an acoustic guitar going, oh, what shall I do now? You know, it's the... It's the, the process of listening all day, um, and occasionally someone will sing something, and I will stop the computer and I will sing my own version of it. I think, oh, I'd have done that in that bit, and so I, you know, I hoard these little ideas in that way. And it's it's funny by the end of the day, your these melodies are just pouring out. It's some like sort of like a, some sort of limbering up process where you're getting your brain into this kind of melodic space or something it's a funny thing so yeah and, and over time those i'll listen back to all my ideas and assemble my greatest hits you know and, and eventually the good good stuff will sort of rise to the top and i will um i think okay that's a chorus there now i need a verse to go with it so i'll raid my other ideas and so it's like every song has like about six different ideas kind of sellotape together almost uh, so i'll never just sit down and write a song from start to finish it's always a, a long process where i'm auditioning things next to each other um so yeah that's that's the way i've always worked really that uh, reminds me of um there's a french film called uh la fille sur la jet, sur la jet right. the girl on the bridge mm-hmm. and it's this idea of smashing things together to create something new, create a pastiche. Mm. So essentially the story of the, the, have you seen the film? I don't think so. No, no. So essentially the story of the film is this girl is on a bridge about to kill herself, about to jump off. And as she's about to jump, this knife lands on the railing by her or lands, but it hits on the railing by her hand. And it's this guy and he's a knife thrower in traveling circus. And he, basically propositions her and he says you're about to kill yourself why instead why don't you loan your life to me i need mm. someone to throw the knives at and since you are ready to die like <laughs> what risk is there mm. and it's just a i mean you it creates a very unique film because you've taken the idea of like a knife thrower which could be something you know a circus could be something very cliche and mm. a suicidal girl mm. and squish them together and now you create something new and that's yeah. what I was thinking of when you said those, you know, six pieces at least in every song. Yeah, I think, and it's the difference between things I'm really interested in as well, um, both across the album as well and within it as well. I like sections and I think that's an idea I want to really explore. Um, and it's, I think it, it's an idea I've had for ages as well. Even when I was in university, I was getting like sort of Tijuana brass loops and then like putting white noise and feedback over the top of it and um when i was in uni i did a my end project film was called channel hopping and it was um about this idea of of people flowing in and out a bit like shortcut and uh not shortcut slacker that film where people were kind of drifting in and out and so i think this idea of uh, like you say smashing things together has been with me for for ages you know and i think oh, that's how i kind of think of it as well is sort of channel hopping that's um 
I, I really want to push that further as well so you can see the joins a lot more and it's a bit more clumsy and a bit more jarring. I think that's that's uh, where music can should go, I think, and it should be, I think, when you start thinking about what hasn't been done, it's almost overwhelming what hasn't been done. You could literally pick na- uh, genres out of a hat, you know, um, dubstep and the bird style jangly guitar, you know, put them together. Like no one's ever done these <laughs> things or, you know, literally anything. And it's, um, it is, it is funny how little people have experimented with, with that idea, you know? Um, but yeah, maybe that's, that's the direction of travel. Maybe. I don't know. I'm quite interested in, um, Sort of black and white music as well, you know, as in, you know, historically sort of black music, uh, soul and hip hop and stuff like that, and how that could be married with um, historically white music, you know, things that have underground and feedback and, and noise and stuff like that. I think that's been one of my interests right from the beginning as well, you know. That kind of reminds me of uh, what was it called? The Whitey album, the Sonic, Sonic Youth. Youth album yeah. that mm. wasn't technically Sonic Youth, the Chaconi Youth, I think is the name they used. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's quite an influence for me, that actually. Yeah, quite messy and quite cheeky. Um, yeah, I think I, I did listen to that, and I kind of always wanted Sonic Youth to go more in that direction, actually. I always thought, hang on, why don't we do? all that kind of stuff because you could still tell it was them but it was just a lot more collagey and stuff yeah yeah that's a very great i think it's i don't even know if you can stream that album so sucks mm. for anybody listening who hasn't heard it <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a good one. i love that you reference slacker too i think you're the only person that i've ever talked to that has seen that film as well <laughs> that's, that's soderbergh's first film i think right that guy has yeah. an interesting view on art, right? It's uh, yeah, I, th- I think this yeah, this kind of jump cutty, this kind of jump cutty thing is uh, is a recurring thing. You know, I, I film things off TV and I make Super Eight films, and I'm always just getting just bursts of random things. So when I go on tour, I'll take my Super Eight camera and I'll just have literally second burst of, of things. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in bands kind of uh, one one kind of vision or one feel, aesthetic feel flowing through everything to do with a band, you know, so the, the, the artwork, the website, the videos becoming unmistakably of that band you know i'm a big believer in bands being having a universe so you could almost imagine what films they liked or tv or books or you know i think a band is really a way of seeing the world for me you know and it's a a stamp so those are the bands kind of bands i always veer towards as um people like Boards of Canada who have a sort of a feel um, that, that sort of flows through everything, you know, I think that's a really big deal. So, you know, I, I never understand bands that will just pick up a guitar and just play regular chords and be happy with that. You know, I like bands that take an angle. Um, there's that, uh, I don't know if you know the band Chain of the Gang, Ian Spinonius, who, who in his had this theory that the first thing you should do when you start a band is uh, to do the band photo, like state like stage one band photo, and everything else comes after that. You know, so I'm I'm kind of dig that idea that I've taken an angle. Who are you? What, what's what's your what's the way you see the world? You know that kind of idea. There's a an interview on a podcast I heard. I'm actually trying to remember who it was. Oh, it was uh, Eleanor Friedberg from the Fiery Furnaces. Yeah. It was, I think the show was, uh, the podcast was No Effects. And with, um, 
I can't remember his name. Doesn't really matter. Anyhow, she said something along the lines of there's, you know, these, everybody thinks that uh, bands should be like almost like these boy groups or, you know, like there's these, these perfect little harmonist family type things. And she's like, no, a a band is like a gang. Mm. You you join the gang, kind of like the Ramones. And this is our look and this is our feel and this is the stuff we're into. And, and, Mm. And that's kind of what you're reminding me of in, in the sense that, you know, like there's a, there's a unifying, uh, the word you used was great, was universe. I like that yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard thing as well. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, we have a, like a school of rock in, in Brighton called BIM, and it's, you know, they literally have people lined up teaching them how to play bass guitar all in a room. And it's like, don't bother with that stuff. You're wasting your time. It's like, it's all about aesthetics, you know? Who are you? What, what's your, what are you going to add to the music, you know, the world of music, you know? Technical stuff, you can forget that. I mean, it's, it's important up to a point, but my approach is, um, you know, you can get someone, you can find someone to play a part if it's too complicated for you, but, you know, only you can write the song and you can come up with that angle and, leave that stamp on the world of music you know so yeah too much emphasis on technical skill and stuff and not much not enough on the aesthetics for me you know that's yeah. that's what band that's that should be the kickoff for bands it's like that guy uh Ingve malmstein who can oh, i don't even know if he's still playing or whatever but it's just some guitar noodling god but like you actually listen to his songs and there's like no song there exactly there's no correlation at all it's like um yeah there's no te- you know louis louis or something you know da, 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 da. and that's gonna, that's left more of a mark on the, mu- on the on music history than any of his wankoffs you know no one's no one's interested apart from just blokes you know <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Uh, my friend Colin, who's in uh, the band Circus Survive, he was just in town recently and was telling me that I need to watch the Metallica documentary, Some Kind of Monster. Mm. And uh, I guess at some point in there, Kirk Hammett is trying to play a guitar solo and Lars tells him, tells him uh, guitar solos aren't cool anymore. <laughs> and it's apparently it's the one time in the movie that like this totally uh calm and uh, i guess meek and kind person kirk hammett just loses his shit <laughs> yeah. because it's just totally destroying his identity where it's like wait a minute uh that's what i do <laughs> the technical thing is what i do yeah i'll sit in it it's always that balance isn't it between moving forward and who being who you are just naturally being who you are you know so uh, that's another complaint we have with the go team a little bit is that people say oh it's uh it's the same thing over and over you know it's 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 show it's, it's getting female vocals over over trumpets equals the go team you know so i always wrestle with that idea of you know progress versus this is who we are, deal with it. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I feel like there are, there really are two kinds of bands in the sense that I know everybody likes to divide things into twos, but, you know, there are bands like ACDC that their whole career is going to be, we do the same exact thing every time. Mm. And then there are bands like uh, Radiohead, you know, where you, you put out OK Computer and then you go, here's Kid A and destroy people's worlds but mm. it's it's hard to <clears throat> it's hard to actively be i think that that radio head of turning completely about face or bob dylan did it a lot where oh you really like the way i did that well the next album's not going to have any of that i mean you always need some sort of through line so the through line is with in dylan is this voice you know so there'll always be that that hook to keep you there but um I mean, whenever anyone says it to us, I say, "A, we haven't. There are 
you know, Thunder Lightning Strikes, nothing like Semicircle in my right. book. And B, okay, who the fuck else is doing it then? Do you know what I mean? It's like you kind of earn the right to plough your own, you know, we've earned the right to be this now. You know what I mean? So it's like um, there is an element of, you know, this is this is the score now. Are you in or out? Are you in or are you, or are you out? Type thing, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, half of me is uh, into this idea of, of sort of trashiness. You know, we, we were saying, you know, how people are too technical and stuff these days, or whatever. Too emphasis, too much emphasis on it. But another part of me is really into sort of funkiness and stuff like that and that is a really that's a really precise world that world of funkiness you know it's like we're talking milliseconds here determining whether something grooves or not you know so that's another way i'm I'm always getting torn i'm 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 a lo-fi obsessive you know who's into cassettes and surface noise and distortion on everything but then i'm also really want things to be groovy and stuff in the way that, you know, Jackson 5 was, you know. So <clears throat> that's another, well, I'm always torn, you know, I almost want to be like Jackson 5, but recorded on a four track or something maybe, you know, so it's, it's that balance between not being bad. <laughs> it's a real, it's a real tight walk, tight rope. Where you just don't you you don't you don't want to be bad, but you want to be groovy in the in the little in the right kind of a way. So you're not you know as soon as things get too slick and too groovy, you get into sort of um, hideous Muzak kind of Grove you know Grover Washington Junior, whatever the fuck is called. You know it, um, those sort of session sessionies of people. So it's. I'm always aware of all these different things and trying to juggle at the same time, you know. That's like the magic of Basquiat, where you're like, well, it's essentially just a guy painting really sloppily and crossing things out, but there's a, mm. but there's a magic to it. It's not bad. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, somebody else did the way that I described it, went up to a canvas and tried to do that. It would just be awful. Yeah. Um, Finding what that line is, I guess the line is different for every everybody. Yeah, um, like you also reminded me of there's, and I'm I'm usually not a fan of uh, extended versions of of albums. Like I kind of just like I want to hear the album the way it was made. I don't want somebody to tack on like 15 songs 30 years later. Mm. Usually, it just drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but one that I did listen to was the extremely extended version of Exile on Main Street, right? Where they just pulled in uh, Don Waz, just pulled in uh, tons and tons and tons of alternate versions. And I can't remember what song it is, but there's one song where they are pushing the border of what funk could possibly be, in the sense of funk being behind the beat. Mm. That, that they are so far behind the beat that the song sounds like it's about to fall apart at any moment. <laughs> but they're literally riding that line the whole time. They never fall over it, but it almost feels like it's about to the whole time. And it's kind of extraordinary. Mm. I know someone, there was a uh, V&A exhibition about Rolling Stones and it had um, an installation where you had a mixing desk in front of you and you could push up the faders and bring in and out the bass, the drums, Matt Jagger, whatever. And he said, when you isolate each one, it, it's so sloppy, the playing. It's all over the place. Um, like, you know, just drifting in and out of time. But when you push all the faders up together, it becomes the Rolling Stones. And it's, it, I think it is, I think it's the sloppiness of the playing, which is actually their fingerprint, which is actually subconsciously, it's, it's that, you know, all feel, but it's quite sloppy, which makes them that, you know what I mean? And, and so when you hear them now, and they're all pro tools, and they're all perfectly in time to a click track and stuff, and it's like, subconsciously, that's what's missing, you know what I mean, from right. from, from the glory days. And because they've overworked it, and it's an amazing studio, and it's almost too good, that's 
it's just a funny thing. People never realise what made them good. You know, they yeah, think they, they think they're te- getting technically better and slicker and best better microphones and stuff always makes it better. But normally, the opposite is true. You know. Yeah, the Stones have. I always referred to it as a swagger. There's just like a certain. I don't know. There's just like a sleazy coolness to like the right guitar riffs on their songs and stuff like that. But mm. once, once they once they moved in like the '80s, they totally lost that. And I think what it what it was is they just kind of, like you said, started focusing on, okay, we're going to make this perfect. And it's yeah, there's a broken quality to them. And I think that's what's always made them my favorite. Yeah, they're just the Beatles. I love things about the Beatles, their melodies will live on forever. But to me, it was always the Stones. Right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, people, um, you know, I'm not particularly retro. That's the thing. I don't really, really believe in the idea of trying to replicate production techniques of the past or anything like that. But, you know, it's it's not... It's just about excitement and feel for me. You know, it's about there's a there's a quote, a, a John Peel quote where somebody would say, um, "Why do you like uh, CD quality is better? Why do you like uh, records? They've, they've got surface noise. It's just all surface noise." And um, John Peel said, "Be life has surface noise." You know, so this idea that. Um, for me, it's more when you record things in a sloppy or uh, more of a lo fi way, it's almost like the sound of life almost for me. You know, it's, it's more alive. And that the more you sort of slave over it and get it all slick and perfect, it's kind of it gets more, less and less uh, like life, you know. So it's, it becomes detached from. And I think that's why, you know, if you're at a wedding reception and, you know, Motown came on and everyone would dig it and get down, um, I think that's why, I think subconsciously, I think it's it's the life in the song that people are responding to, the, the fact that it's buckling and it's distorted and it's it's just a, just a slab of music, isn't it? You know, all red-limited, you know. Yeah, I think it was like several, several songs of, of Motown. There's not even drums. They're playing cardboard boxes. Right. They didn't I heard have that, the drums. <laughs> I heard that, uh, so they had four tracks to play with, and I, I heard that the one of the tracks is the tambourine. So they, they devote one, the whole, they devote one whole track to a tambourine. <laughs> that's, that's how important it was. That's pretty funny. Mm. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Mm. You know what reminds me too, as we're talking about this perfection. Have you heard the story of of the Outcast song "Hey Ya"? No. So apparently, there's, and this is obviously something I heard a while ago. So I'll probably mess up some of the facts, but apparently, there's a program out there which doesn't surprise me that you can put a song into, and it will tell you the percentage of a chance that it's going to be a hit. Oh, wow. And mm. a lot of these uh, record companies use it, I guess. Um, that's just supposition on my part. But anyways, they'd taken the song Hey Ya by Outkast. This is obviously before it was released as a single. And they put it through there, and it was like super high score, like 99% chance it's going to be a hit. And it just, you know, everything about it is perfect in, in this machine's idea of what a song, a pop song should be. And they put it on the radio, and people hated it. Like they, they, they hated it. There are many different reasons why they didn't like it. So the only way that they were able to make that song successful is they had to start sandwiching it between two really popular songs at the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't remember what the songs were popular at the time, but you know, they, this is a number one hit and this is a number two hit or whatever, and they just stick that between. And they said that even sometimes they would put it between the same song. So you know, you'd have the number one hit, then Hey Ya, mm-hmm. and then the number one hit. And the only way they could get people to register that as a as a song that they liked was to was through association, even though mm. technically it was perfect. 
I'm surprised people didn't like it. I think it's kind of irresistible, really, isn't it? It's one of those, uh, yeah, it just sort of rises out of the sea of monotony, doesn't it, that song, a little bit? You know, it's one of those ones. Mm. It's just really unique. Maybe, you know, some people don't like things outside of the box. You know, like his voice is a little bit different than every voice on the radio at the time, probably, or you know, there's a little little twists and... Just like, the chord progression is really weird. Yeah, it's just completely left field, yeah. yeah like, um, my friend Megan Holiday works at K-Rock, and she's a DJ at K-Rock, and she's talking about, you know, like sometimes that they want to play you know bring in new music like they bring in like manchester orchestra or something like that and they bring it in and people freak out because they're like oh no i don't like this this doesn't fit in my box mm-hmm. and yeah. she made know. a very astute observation though she said that, that she thinks that maybe they're they're people who listen to terrestrial radio are not the same type of of listener music listener anymore um, people used to listen to radio to find new things. Now people who listen to radio kind of want to hear the same thing. And the people that want to hear new thing are listening to streaming or, you know, or fi- finding stuff through friends or, you know, mm. still digging through crates probably. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what to make of the musical landscape at the minute, to be honest. It's a bit all over the place, isn't it? It's quite a vague time. It feels like people are trying to, kind of find their feet or something. I don't know. It's, it's, people, it's almost like people are getting uh, bamboozled by the technology rather than the, the, I don't know, the songs. I don't know. I also think that the, the reach of everything kind of muddles things in a way that in the long run will be good, but makes things kind of hazy right now. In the sense, you know, before when, when we're all listening to radio, you know, there was nothing but radio as far as music goes. What was, you know, there were movements, you know, like grunge. Okay, mm. so that's what most of us are listening to right now. But because we all have access to any kind of music we, we want, and we're all not listening to the same thing, there aren't these clearly defined movements for people mm. to either join or to rebel against. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when we first started, this idea of, Genre hopping was a bit more sort of revolutionary, um, you know. Uh, but I think now it's pretty common. It's almost like it is a mixed hate culture, isn't it? Now, I, and I've kind of, I kind of don't mind that. I think you know, it it makes people if it makes people kind of try and make every song on the album good rather than you know, yeah, fillers and stuff. Um, you know, I, I believe in the album still, but I, at the same time, I, I love, I, I do like this kind of mixed hapey mindset, you know, and, and hopping around. And so, you know, I'm not particularly mourning the idea of um, the death of the album or anything particularly, because, you know, life is more interesting when you, you, you jump around, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think I like the idea of using music to just transform the moment you're in. So, and almost like treating your life like a film. So, you know, if you're on a journey, you'll pick a song that would be cool on a journey and it just heightens the moment and almost uh, makes some sort of, euphoric it just it's just like adding msg to the moment or something it just goes it just pops you know so i kind of like that idea of, of, of music using it using it actually yeah using it for you to transform the moment you know i don't i think people overstate the importance of music maybe that it has a, some sort of revolutionary ability or something or if you know people uh, overstate the importance of music, you know, hey, I'm going to write an anti-Trump song or something, where it's like, you might as well do something more productive than that, than <laughs> do, do art to, to vent your anger when every other fucker's doing the same, you know. So uh, I think I like the idea of music, of using music to just make life better, basically. Just even like a walk, to, a walk down the road, 
can be transformed with the right song, you know. Um, that's kind of how I think of it. You remind me of, there's a Vonnegut quote, I think it, uh, in reference, it might even be in the prologue to Slaughterhouse-Five, where he tells someone the idea of the book that he's writing, and they go, oh, it's an anti-war book. And he says, write an anti-war book is like writing an anti-glacier book. Mm. You can't avoid it. And I think that to some degree, you're right. I think that people confuse the, you know, the chicken or the egg, the cart or the horse when it comes to music. You know, do, does, revolu- does revolutionary music change things or do we write revolutionary music because things are changing? Mm. Like, you know, you look back at the 60s in, in America. Was it the music that, that made that happen? Or did that happen and then the music came from it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes... I mean, I guess it would, be, it, would, it would be odd for us to look back at this time and not to find angry music, you know? That would be weird. Um, but it feels like art isn't enough anymore, you know what I mean? It feels like you actually need to be productive and... It's the equivalent of a tweet or something, isn't it? You know, yeah. It's a gesture rather than action, I suppose. Um, but you know, I guess art makes people feel better as well, doesn't it? It's 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 a therapeutic sort of dimension to it as well. But you know, it, it's, it's this word escapism. People often use that word with Go Team as well, and I kind of almost, I kind of cringe at that idea as well. You know, I don't believe in being disengaged or anything but i'm um uh i kind of like the idea of um creating your own reality your own almost like a parallel reality through music that because it's almost part of me just wasn't doesn't want to be defined by these uh these motherfuckers that are in power at the minute. You know, I don't want to give them the pleasure of um, thinking about them too much, almost, you know. Um, uh, so I think there's, there's some kind of argument for getting on with your own thing and not letting, not letting those twats uh, get you down too much, you know, by doing your own little parallel universe thing over here, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah. I feel like there's, you know, these people that empower that the more you talk about them and the more that you publicize them and the more that you, that everything is hinging, even if it's negative, that hinges on what they've done or what they're going to do. You, you feed them, you're feeding the dragon. And I always felt like I'm like, well, if you, if you've like a newspaper doesn't like a, a leader, well, what if you just like didn't cover anything that they did? Mm. What if you just left them out of the news? You know, obviously they have to worry about people buying the newspaper if people still buy newspapers. But I always felt like, you know, like it's just like what they say, you know, when you're in school or something, you know, well, that kid is, you know, picking on you. Well, just ignore them. <laughs> it destroys them, you know, because they're doing it because they want you to, you know, to feed them the energy that you give them when they do that. Mm. It's almost like the, the, the defining uh, question of our time or something is like how you juggle those two ideas of um, being completely aware and switched on and, and, and plugged in and, you know, not letting people get away with stuff but also not letting that define your life or whatever you know so it's almost like you have to split your brain in two and uh i don't know that's that's the struggle of our time isn't it is become you know being all over it but not but doing your own thing at the same time you know right You know, like enjoying the walk, but also somewhere in the back of your mind, remembering there might be a tiger behind that bush. Mm. You know, going back to that, having that that instinct still alive inside of you, but maybe not living in that instinct. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you do it, to be honest. Yeah. I wonder if the reason that, you know, the music and film and things like that are no longer as revolutionary um, and as powerful is because we've kind of nipped them, you know, we've kind of snipped off their balls. In, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, we don't, we don't place a lot of value in them other than as a commodity. You know, like when you watch award shows, you know, award show is really just, you know, like they're applauding people for selling a lot of something. They're not applauding necessarily a, a job well done, which is not to say that it's not hard work to write an album that sells, you know, millions and millions of copies, but they're not awarding the musicianship and the song craft. They're rewarding the numbers. Mm. And, and I wonder if because of that, because we place such a value on numbers and, you know, how many, how many plays did this get on Spotify? How many likes did you get on Instagram? You know, how many followers do you have on Twitter that we've, we've, kind of pushed off some of the more powerful things, you know, because it might be ugly or it might be uncomfortable. And so they're no longer, they no longer have the reach and the power that they had. I mean, it's getting harder to shock, I suppose, isn't it? You know, harder and harder to shock, but people don't seem particularly interested in shocking. But I don't know. I think, I think, I don't know if music's ever had a reach beyond cultural, you know, say sex pistols. I mean, uh, it was shocking and it was culturally amazing because it freed up this idea that anyone could do things, not just in music, but, you know, this, this punk word could be applied to anything. You know, you don't have to be an expert anymore. Just get out there and do it. But that was a cultural idea. That was a, a creative, artistic idea. And, it, and so it didn't impact the government that was in power at the time or anything. You know, so I think even with something as revolutionary as punk, it never really had any world-changing... It defined the time, but it didn't really affect the sort of government or anything like that, you know, at right. that level. So I think, I, think it's, I think its reach is more artistic and stuff. But, but you know, at the same time, if you were going to look back at the history of the 70s the first thing you do is have a shot of the sex pistols not the people that were in power at the time so you know culture is probably as more important to people than uh politics anyway maybe you know and maybe that's the power is that it creates that alternate universe to live in that you were talking about you know i can live in music instead mm. of paying attention to the news mm. Yeah, that's it. I mean, music just makes life better, basically. <laughs> it's so, hard to imagine life without it. I mean, I'm always wrestling with this idea that there's only 12 notes. You know, this is what I think about all day. It's like, wow, this is how little I've got to play with, you know. <laughs> but there's still things to be done, you know. I'm always amazed by that. Well, there's always Glenn Bronca with all the microtones. Uh, did he get into all that stuff today? Yeah, he started making all these custom guitars that did half notes or half half frets and quarter frets and wow, like a, a decimal guitar or something. Like a, yeah, it's it's insane. The, the notes in between. Yeah, maybe that's the future of music. The notes between the notes. It's hard to tell. It definitely is. I mean, I I definitely I look at all the music I've seen in my life and I go. What, where do we go from here? You know, like what's mm. next? You know, what's, what's, what's music when we're old? What music is going to be like the music we listen to and go, that's terrible. Mm. One thing I'm experimenting with at the minute, which I've, I've had this, been trying to wrestle with this thing for years actually, but so you write a song, maybe a conventional song and an acoustic, but then you actually build a song. You write, build the, the song out of chords from various places. So you could have a G from i don't know some 60s jangle group uh, the next chord a d or whatever could be from electro record you know so you're literally building the song out of chords from random places you know 
and, and to do that in a in a way that isn't jarring and, and <laughs> flows like a song without it sounding mental is the that's the challenge. But I think there's something in that idea. So going beyond going beyond the sort of um, you know these kind of people like Jay Diller or Flying Lotus who kind of get these snippets of people's songs, stick it on a sample pad and kind of build songs like that. But kind of almost like taking that idea at start getting that idea but but kind of having like kind of Beatles level songwriting applied to it, you know, I mean so you're not just just aimlessly hitting sample pads with a beat over the top. You're taking it a level beyond that. So it's just like really nice songs but in a schizo kind of way, you know. So that's that's what I'm wrestling with at the minute. Are you familiar with the writer Simon Reynolds? No. Oh, yes. The, the, as in the journalist, yeah. 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 Retro Main or something. No, what's it called? Yeah, that's the exact book I was going to yeah. reference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting um, theory that he says, you know, the, essentially for anybody listening who hasn't, isn't familiar with the book, it's essentially the idea that music is kind of blah right now because people are continually looking back. They're continually looking at what was already done. And, you know, I want to go back. I want to replicate that sound. I want to do this. And he says before, it felt like music was always trying to move forward into the mm. future to create something new. And I, I think that that's, I think that's true to some degree. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean pop music doesn't, modern pop music doesn't particularly sound, uh, you know, retro on a thing does it i mean i mean r&b is actually pretty experimental these days you know that's kind of where people are actually being cutting edge and, and it's quite strange and it's not particularly a, a, a nice listen <laughs> you know it's not i don't know how if it's going to stand up historically you know it's a bit like um uh this is america um it feels kind of dated already, doesn't it? And I don't think it's, it feels like a, a hype moment, but I don't know if history will remember it in the same way as, say, um, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye or whatever. It's, it's, right. it's a song that defines 2018, but I think because musically it's it hasn't got much going on, I don't think it's going to be a classic kind of thing, you know. So, yeah. It's, I, mean, I I look and I wonder what is a classic. To be honest, like not to not to say that there everything out there is garbage or anything like that, but I don't get that feeling from most of the songs that are you know filtering into my head. You know, when you go to a grocery store or whatever, they're playing you know whatever pop songs of probably last year. They don't play this year's, and there's nothing that like registers in my mind where I'm like, oh, I know that song. Like they just kind of all float past me now yeah i know i have that feeling that's exactly that's exactly it and that's why i keep thinking it's so hard <laughs> i think that every day it's just hard because a things have been done uh yeah just so rare like something like hey y'all it just literally does sort of raise above other things that were around at the time doesn't it yeah just because it, it has that classic undeniable quality I think that's what I'm trying to do is make music that's kind of undeniable in a way that you can't, that it will, it will sound good now and in 20 years' time, whatever, you know. That's, that's the challenge, isn't it? I think that's a good point also is that timelessness is something, I mean, it's hard to define, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's something that I think that a lot of pop music doesn't strive for. It doesn't strive for time, timelessness. It strives. It strives for now, you know. Like mm. what, you know, what what marketing uh, research tells me is popular right this second. That's what I. Th that's what I was saying about this is America. Really, it's very nowy, but it's not very timelessy. Just what's, because, yeah. What, what's funny about that is I don't even know that song. <laughs> okay, I mean it's, it's yeah. I mean it's uh, it was kind of a an event, wasn't it? It was a. More, more of an event than, than a song, really, I guess. Well, and that's, what's great about what that, too, is it proves, you know, what we were saying before about this dispersal of, of what we quote, would call the mainstream. 
is that I can be listening to music every day like I do and still have no idea what that is because it doesn't, there's no entry point anymore. You know, like uh, in, in America in the 80s, everybody watched Johnny Carson. Everybody. Mm. And somebody wrote somewhere along the lines that that was the last time that all of America was watching the same thing. Mm. And it, it, that's definitely true with music. That you know, There is no, you know, like I don't even know if, if, if Kanye released an album last week, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> it wouldn't filter to me in any way. <laughs> Unless a person told me. That's about it. That's the only... Mm. And I'm not a huge fan of his anyway, so. So I mean, I guess people are tribal in in a way. Still, and still, they're not, mate. Even if they don't call themselves an indie kid or a grunge, or, I don't know. People have that. Maybe it's like bubbles. It's more of like a bubble these days than a tribe, isn't it? Yeah, it's you know they think it's an algorithm bubble, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I have, I use Apple Music, and I have tons and tons of albums in there. But all I do usually is I open it up and I go into the for you section and it recommends about, you know, 15 albums every day. And mm. I look through and there's almost always an album in there where I'm like, yep, I want to hear that album right now. Today yeah. is definitely Scary Monsters by Bowie Day. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is another great example of broken music. Mm. Yeah. I don't mind this idea of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the age of the tip off, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. uh, and if, if 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 the internet's good for anything, it's it's the tip off, and that that's the true potential. It's 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 uh, it's like freely floating uh, ideas. You know, there's no excuse for listening to shit things anymore, basically. So yeah, it's not all it's not all bad. <laughs> and what I love about it too is it the future is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure to some degree there's always going to be pop stars just because people make so much money off of that, that that market. But I almost feel like it will become a different thing. You know, like, okay, there's that. And then there's music. There's that thing over there, that spectacle over there. And then there's music. And it sets up a future where bands like you and bands like uh, Built to Spill, you know, bands who aren't trying to be you know, we're the number one pop song this year. We are the number one on radio. No, we have this thing that we're trying to do. We have a voice that we're trying to express and we like being the band that we are. Mm. And it, it, thing. Sets, it sets up the future for bands like that. I think, I think the most glorious thing is that the, at the age of the, um, uh, the ponytailed A&R man swanning around, doing coke and um in these fucking massive head offices uh that age is over and that's glorious you know that all the money's just sucked out of it and those people have just disappeared you know so yeah i think you are left with the the enthusiasts and the people that are really into it so i think that's, that's glorious that those sort of 90s 80s 90s that age of the the overblown overpriced just too much money knocking around. I think the fact that that's gone is is a glorious thing, really. You know, and it's almost like we are we're going back into you know you mentioned mixtape culture, but there was also the VHS culture, which and I feel like we've kind of fallen back into that in a good way. You know, where it's like people would record. I don't know if if you guys did this in 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 England, but we did it here. We would record pieces of shows or you know, funny bits from a comedian. We make like these mixtapes on VHS, but mm-hmm. then you give them to your friends and pass them out. And it was, it's similar to the music thing, but you know, like that was how we were exposed to things. This is the first time I ever saw the comedian Bill Hicks was on one of these mixed VHSs. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I found some cool stuff that you haven't seen. Check it out. And I, I like yeah. that idea a lot. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Um, I guess the the downside is that things are disposable. It's a moment, and then it's gone. You know, I think the idea of loyalty might be an old thing. I'm not sure. I don't know. But you know, bands sticking with you for 
your whole career. I don't know if that's a, a quaint thing anymore. I don't know really, but yeah. Yeah, one of my my friends, he's one of my deceased friends, unfortunately. He said one time something that always stuck in my head, and he said, you know, what happened when people were just like, we didn't say, like, I like this album, I don't like this album. People just said, I like that band. Mm. I just like them. And whatever they do, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. That's saying That's the goal. That's the that's the the dream, the holy grail of a band is to become is to sort of transcend the album cycle. So you can you're just that, you are you're just this thing. So yeah, I mean I, I hopefully the Gotum has kind of reached that level that you can it can just be goating me and you know what you know what that means, you know. And it it's it transcends the album cycle so you could tour whenever or you know that's that's a good thing you know and i think when you've reached that level where you are a thing you know and people know what that means that's that's a good goal for any band you know do you ever feel that pressure you know like okay i just released this album two years ago if i don't put out something soon people are going to forget that we exist (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, we've always had big gaps. I mean, that's probably why we're not as big as we should be, or maybe <laughs> we could be. But we've always had uh, four-year gaps between records. Um, after the last one, which was three years. So that's something which I'm really working on. I want to move a lot faster on this next one. Um, but no, I mean, time pressure has never been a factor, particularly. In fact, I should have I should have looked worked on that more. You know. But I'm, this this process I've been talking about the the hoarding and the trying and the endlessly <laughs> listening to records is a long process, you know. And then and then the phase after that is a long process as well. Where I kind of record each sec each instrument one by one as well. So yeah, it's not a conducive it's not conducive to time to speed this kind of way of writing, you know. But hopefully it sounds like it's just sort of bursting out, but it's actually a long process, you know. What I found actually really fascinating, you know, you say the word bursting out, and I think that the, the Semicircle album, it really does burst out in the sense that I, I heard it and I'm like, oh yeah, like you said, it sounds this sounds like the Go Team. And then I went back and I listened to the first album and I'm like, whoa, whoa, they're hugely different. <laughs> and yeah. And that's kind of amazing that you can, you know, straddle those two things where it's like, this is totally different, but it feels the same. Yeah, I think to, to the to the casual listener, they would think, oh, God, you know, change the record. They, they would assume, they'd think that they were the same, basically, I think. <laughs> I, you know, but it's uh, what you're going to do. You know, you're not paying, enough, not paying attention enough, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like there's something that a lot of people don't do anymore is listen to something over and over again you know other than like a song you know like they don't go through an album and go i'm gonna listen to this three or four times and figure this album out and that's, mm. that's kind of like one of my favorite things was like what is this album i used to love sitting getting the cassettes and then open it up and finding out that there were lyrics inside there and reading the lyrics along with the song because that was like my anchor point to make sure that mm. i was paying attention mm. Yeah, lyrics are a funny one. I mean, they're not, they're never, I'm always amazed by people that uh, kick off a song with lyrics, you know, a, um, you know, and will write the melody to a poem they've written or something like that. And I'd never even think about doing that really. It's more, it's much more about the melody is to kick off and then finally find something that, that scans and makes sense and isn't shit and raises it to another level, you know, it's almost like a bonus for me, the lyrics. So for me, you know, a, 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 a bad song with good lyrics is still a bad song, really, I think. Um, but a good song with good lyrics just lifts it and just raises it to, to being amazing, you know. <laughs> but I don't think good lyrics can ever rescue a, a, a mediocre song, really. So that, that's kind of why I'm... So obsessed the melodies, you know. That's my approach anyway. And I, I know that they're important and there's a million different ways you can approach songwriting, isn't there? But this is just 
why do you know? Well, it's definitely like a good song. You know, the music can be great and the lyrics can suck, and it's still a great song, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But you, yeah, you just crave them too better generally. But if it, if it, if it, you know, if it's kicking, it's kicking. You know, you can't really argue with it, can you? But there's a great documentary called Stripped, which is about uh, comic strip um, artists, and I don't remember which of them. But one of them says in there, "If you're good at writing stories and a bad artist, you'll mm. be successful in comics. Yeah. But if it's the other way around." you'll never get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm not an, an Oasis fan or anything, but listen to like Oasis's lyrics versus the, their success. And there's, you know, there's no correlation at all, is there? They're literally just gibberish, isn't it? You know? Yeah, what, what is a champagne supernova? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny that they, they're the first to admit it, though, aren't they? They just, right. they just like, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> well, I usually end the episodes of Creative Minds asking what book someone thinks that I should read next. And, you know, it can be any type of book, but something that you think that's going to open my mind to something. Uh, I'd like to say I was a, <clears throat> a big reader, but I don't really get around to it much, to be honest. But my favorite book is a book called Ethan Frome. Have you ever read that? Mm, no, so that's a great recommendation. Ethan Frome, it's by Edith Wharton. It's kind of set in kind of little house in the prairie kind of era, you know. Um, what would that be? Early, sort of late 1800s, that sort of thing. But it's just about a bloke that gets the hots for his hypochondriac wife's sister. Um, and it's just this kind of, it's like a snowy landscape and this bloke just fantasizing about running off to this woman but it's just pretty immense it feels really modern in this timeless idea (laughs) (laughs) but but, um but but you know nothing goes right for him and stuff so it always appeals to me i always like kind of tragic kind of characters like that i like um comedy where things don't pan out for people I, i was like i always veer towards that kind of stuff you know like uh, Mike Lee kind of stuff, you know. And would you like to tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where they can find you online? Yeah, this is Ian from the Go Team. I uh, started a band way back in 2004. Um, yeah, you can find us uh, online on uh, www.goteam.co.uk, I believe. Oh! <laughs>